certainly to do that, but we'll desire that. And so there are things that happen in our lives that validate the fact that we have been born again. So how do I know that I'm saved? Our text tonight, I hope you have your Bibles because I don't have it on the notes. Jason didn't, didn't print them for me tonight. I put them on the overhead because he doesn't have me there, okay? Acts chapter 16. Give you a moment to get there. Verses 29 through 32. Acts 16, verses 29 through 32. The story tonight and the circumstances include two preachers, Paul and Silas. A prisoner and a prison. Let's begin reading in Acts 16, verse 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And I want you to know, I believe that one night Paul said, Word of God speak. The Word of God is alive. Now, just to give us up to date, most of you know the story. Paul and Silas had come to town. And they're on the way to prayer meeting. And on the way, they come in contact to a demonic girl who's demonic possessed. Not a demonic girl. She's demonic possessed. And Paul and Silas cast that demon out. She's set free. Now the problem is, there was someone who made money off of her. Not in the way of a prostitute, but in the way of foretelling different things. And how many know money talks? And they were not happy. They were not happy. So they go to the authorities and uh, in so many words they tell the authorities these two guys are troublemakers. So they are arrested. Paul and Silas are arrested. They're beaten, thrown into prison. In fact, they were so adamant to the jailer to make sure they don't get out They were put in the most secure place of the prison, and their feet were placed in stocks. That would ruin your prayer meeting any time, right? (laughs) But not for Paul and Silas. The Bible says that about midnight, Paul and Silas begin to pray and sing praises to God. Can you imagine that? Well, about that time, God sends an earthquake. And we're not told exactly what scale it was, but it was enough that it shook the bars and the doors of the prison. And they all flung open. 
The jailer is concerned. And he calls for a light. Now, I mean, folks, it wasn't like our, our jails today. I mean, our jails today compared to then would be like the best hotel in town. There was no light and it was dark as a dungeon. It was a dungeon. And so the jailer, he calls for a light because a torch was needed to see into the prison. Now remember, in that economy, if you were a jailer or a guard of any kind, if your prisoner escaped, you paid the penalty. If they were going to be executed, you were executed. Whatever it was, you paid that penalty. And the jailer was ready to take his own life. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. None of us have fled. So the jailer, once he's inside, he falls down trembling before Paul in silence. And the Bible says he, this jailer brought them out from the inner recesses where those stocks would, would have been located. And that jailer asked the most profound question anyone could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? How many know tonight that's the most profound question anybody could ask? It's the most important question. What must I do to be saved? Now, by the way, there are many opinions. But there's only one truth, and it's right here. What does the Bible say? What must I do to be saved? Remember, this is God's word. It's God speaking to us. And so the most profound question ever was asked by the, by the prison guard. And what's interesting, we find here in Acts chapter 16, the most profound answer to the most profound question Ever ask. And the answer to the jailer's question was believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible says, when Paul says here as well, to believe, it's not just faith for faith's sake. Now, don't miss that. It is faith with a very serious object. You listen to a lot of people today in our world, they say, I believe. But my friend, that's not what the Bible is talking about, that kind of faith. This kind of faith is faith in a very serious object, and it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will be saved. And we also learn in this text tonight, the application of that message extended beyond the jailer. Paul said, 
that fact, believing the Lord Jesus Christ, it was also relevant to his whole household and to anyone who would come to Christ. It is for everyone. It was relevant to the whole group of those prisoners that were released. And I want to tell you something, folks. I believe Paul had their attention. And I have no doubt they were listening very closely. It was relevant to their households. Now, we're never told whether those prisoners were rechained or not. They may have been. We don't know. And it's interesting... Luke is careful about this. Luke says, Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word. The word of God. So Paul and Silas spoke the word to the jailer, but they also spoke the word to the family of the jailer and everyone in the household. Now, most of you who are students of the Scripture, you remember that in Act 1-8, Jesus said, you'll be, just, you'll be witnessing over all the world. And I doubt... You know, I have a doubt that Paul ever dreamed that one of those places would be in a prison, in a dungeon, a Philippian prison in stockades, opened by a heaven-sent earthquake. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So let me take a few minutes tonight and speak about salvation, pure and simple. Without a doubt, Paul and Silas, stunned the jailer and the prisoners. And this jailer, stunned by Paul and Silas, terrified by the earthquake, and certainly terrified by the consequences he would face if the prisoners all, you know, would escape, this jailer despaired of his very life. But also, he began to realize his own true condition, and his own need. And in the midst of this turmoil, this excitement and danger, he risked everything to find the answer. What must I do to be saved? The problem he had is like a lot of people. He thought you had to do something. To be saved. You had to do so many words. Whatever it was. What must I do? His mindset was. If 
If I'm going to find deliverance, surely there's something I must do. But folks, the, the Christian good news of salvation was simply expressed by Paul and Silas when they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 11. Let's just read verse 10 for right, or verse 9 for right now. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So when we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, when we trust Him with our entire lives, we are assured salvation. Salvation comes to us. And other than believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing we can do to make it happen. We simply have to accept what Jesus did on Calvary. It's all what he has done. As a pastor, I seldom deal with a question more important than the question of the assurance of salvation. How do I know I'm saved. If you attend here very long, you know that I often emphasize the application of God's Word. It's not enough to be hearers of the Word. We need to be what? Doers of the Word. And so over and over again, you hear me emphasize the application of truth. That being said, I think it's proper for God's people to be sure of the foundation on which you stand. And my friend, I'm standing on a sure foundation tonight. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the concrete under my feet either. The foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I know? How do I know if I'm really saved? And by the way, this is a very important question, and it deserves a careful answer. First of all, the Bible teaches that the moment anyone turns from sin and trusts Jesus Christ, will be forgiven, and they are saved. That very moment. Acts chapter, chapter 2, verse 37, Peter has preached. And uh, what he said has pierced the heart of the hearers. Look what happens in verse 37 through 41 of Acts 2. The Bible says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Folks, that's a cry from the heart. A cry. 
Then Peter said unto them, Repent! Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to those who are afar off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And with many of the words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. What they did, they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were saved at that time. So the Bible says, if we trust Christ, we're forgiven of our sins, and we are saved. The second thing the Bible says, when we trust Jesus Christ, we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now remember, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. That's spiritual as well as physical. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible says... Once we trust Christ, we pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's God speaking, folks. We pass from death to life. So not only are our sins forgiven when we trust Christ, not only do we pass from death to life, also God declares us not guilty in his court. Amen. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me. Being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Why? So that he might be, the, be just and the justifier of all who put faith in Christ. Wow. Now, by the way, you'll notice everything we read refers back to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we have to begin. Christ has to be our foundation. But understand something, okay? When God says, for whosoever, do I have any whosoever here tonight? Yeah. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From God's perspective, 
The salvation he provides is an objective reality. God cannot lie, and he will not lie. Romans chapter 8 again, verse 28 to 30. And we know, and by the way, to have assurance, you need to know some things. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And here's the key. For whom he, God, did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's Christ. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now hold on. Everything I just read is in past tense. You know why? Because with God, salvation is an objective reality. Now think about that. It is an objective reality. If you call on the name of the Lord, you are saved. God says you will be saved. When Paul told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. My friend, that is an objective reality. Amen. But here's the problem. A lot of times, from our perspective, it's not objective, it's subjective. And we may not feel certain. Isn't that true? Like I said this morning, there's some days I wake up and I don't feel saved. I don't act saved sometimes. And so with me, at times, it's subjective. Difficulties come. Discouragement comes because of sin. And those things can cause us to begin to question the reality of our salvation. There are some verses in the Bible that warn against turning away from the faith. A few verses warn about the unforgivable sin. And yet, we ask the question, how do I know that I am really saved? Now, by the way, you need to know. You need to know. There's nothing that breaks my heart any more than I hear somebody who had a loved one who's given their life to Christ, was saved. And I hear him say after they passed, well, I hope they went to heaven. Uh-uh. If they're born again, they went to heaven. With us, it's at times it's subjective, but not with God. It is objective. I tell new converts especially, make sure you begin reading in the book of 1 John. Because when John wrote this first letter, he addressed the very question, how do I know I'm saved? 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you, that you might believe on the name of the Son of God, and hear me, that you might know you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. 
As we read through the book of this letter of John, he approaches this question of how do I know that I'm saved from a couple of different angles. Chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here's what we need to understand. The starting point is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. That's where salvation begins. And John, in this letter, describes Jesus as our advocate. And what that means is this. Thank God. Jesus pleads my case before God. John says, my desire is that you don't sin. But John knows us. He said, but when you do sin, make sure you understand something. You have somebody pleading your case before God, and that's Jesus Christ. (laughs) And so he is there pleading our case before the Father whenever we sin or when Satan accuses us. It was through his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins that Jesus satisfied God's righteous wrath against us. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How many know that's an objective fact? If you are walking in the light, (coughs) the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2.2 And He, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. We'll talk a little bit more about that word propitiation in a moment. 1 John 4.10 Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So by removing sin, God removed the barrier between us and him so that we could live within his people and we could live within him. Thank God. Now, we read that word propitiation. Uh, the Greek word simply means to appease in classical Greek. But in the New Testament, the idea is to atone or to satisfy the wrath of God. My friend Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for us. He satisfied the wrath of God. So by confessing that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who came in the flesh to save us from our sins, we can have the assurance that we have eternal life. 1 John 4, 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. 
1 John 4, 13 through 15. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he dwell in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever, do I have any whosoever's here? Amen. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Because that is true, therefore, 1 John 5, 12, He that has the Son has life, and he that doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. How plain can you make it? How plain can we make it? So John tells us we have to know that Jesus Christ is the beginning point. He is the foundation. But John doesn't stop with the foundation. He, he doesn't stop with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. John takes that foundation and he begins to build on that foundation the ongoing trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ by reminding us of the testimony of the Holy Spirit who lives within every believer. 1 John 3, 24. And he that keeps his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. How do I know I'm saved? Am I keeping his commandments? Does the Spirit of God dwell in me? If we don't, if we're not keeping his commandments, guess what? We haven't been saved. We have not been saved. So the Holy Spirit is in us. <coughs> he reminds us of the truth of who Jesus is, but he also reminds us what Jesus has done for us. First John 4, verse 2 and verse 6. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Is of God. We are of God, verse 6 says. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So as we begin to experience the work of the Spirit in our lives... We are reassured that God truly abides in us. 1 John 4.13 Hereby know we that we dwell in him, he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Let's don't miss what John is saying here. I realize that in spite of what we've read tonight, Faith in Jesus Christ and even our perception of the Holy Spirit living inside of us at times will appear quite subjective. And I believe that's why John, in his letter, 
points how you and I, as Christians, live lives with tangible evidence that we are truly born again. Those who truly know Christ by faith will actively pursue obedience to God's commands. We will want to obey. Just like Jesus did. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2, 8. He that saith he abideth in him ought to himself also walk, even as he, Jesus, walked. So the most fundamental commandment is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 22-24. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments. And do those things that are pleasing His sight. Folks, that's tangible. And this is His commandment. That we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So there again we have tangible evidence. And we need to realize genuine faith works itself out. We can see it in our lives. It works itself out in love. It works itself out in tangible acts toward others. And especially other believers. 1 John 3, verse 11 through 18. For this is a message. This is a message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And why he slew him? Because his own works were evil. And his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you also that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and sees his brother have need, and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21. If any man say, I love God, hates his brother, he is a liar. But he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this command we have from him, that he who loveth God loves also his brother. 1 John 5, verse 1 and 2. 
Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that begat, loveth also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, because we love God and we keep his commandments. By this we know. So those who are born again, those who are children of God, they show their true identity by pursuing a pattern of turning away from sin to a life of righteousness. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin. That's why he came. And in him, in Christ, is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. A lot of verses here tonight, but let me remind you. The Bible said we all fall short of the glory of God. And how many know that even now we're saved, we still fall short of that glory? Yeah. And so when we inevitably fall short of perfect obedience, we have a wonderful, wonderful promise that God is faithful. He's faithful to forgive, and He's faithful to cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, yeah, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a God. What a God. So how do I know? How do I know that I'm saved? Put it simply, our salvation depends solely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I am going to heaven without a doubt, not because I'm good, but because he's good. And he paid my penalty. And so as we continue to trust him, The longer we trust Him, we begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, and He's working to make us more like Jesus. And we, when we see this happening in our lives, our assurance that we are truly born again is going to grow. It is going to grow. And my friend, the Bible says, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved. Let's stand together.
Father, we're so grateful tonight for your word. So grateful tonight for the things we can know. Glory to God. And Father, I pray that what we share tonight will help anyone who is struggling with the assurance of salvation. That God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can know that we're saved. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.